first Bible reading for today is from James 5, chapters thir- or verses 13 to 20. Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them, call, let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Elijah was a human being, even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again, he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. My brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring that person back, remember this. Whoever turns a sinner from the error of their ways will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. As we continue to our second reading... We'll find that in Matthew 26, verses 36 to 46. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to them, Sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Couldn't you men keep watch with me for one hour, he asked Peter. Watch and pray so that you will not fall in temptation. The spirit is willing but the flesh is weak. He went away a second time and prayed, My father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. So he left them and went away once more and prayed the third time, saying the same thing. Then he returned to the disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour has come, and the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Betsy. Hello, my friends. My name is Nick. I am one of the pastors here at church, and it's wonderful that you can join us online, an opportunity for us to still gather and hear the word of the Lord. We're talking about prayer today, so why don't we put our faith in action and spend some time praying. Father, we ask that today you might feed our souls, that you might speak to us in power, and that you might strengthen our faith, that we might learn to pray and pray consistently. We pray this expectant in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, when I became a Christian, I was captivated by the person of Jesus. I remember sitting in my seat as a 14-year-old, just looking at this preacher, speaking about the, the sin that I had embodied in my whole life and talked about the grace of Jesus that came and wanted to rescue me. And I felt completely overwhelmed and I gave my life to Jesus that day as my Saviour and my Lord. It was a wonderful moment in my life. 
But what I didn't expect from that moment was the, the really warm welcome and community that I would find in the church. I didn't expect that this individual faith that I had received would actually become this community and family that welcomed me and drew me in. There is something so beautiful and special about the church. And that's true, especially in this moment that we find ourselves in right now, a moment of disconnection and isolation, a period of time where people are more lonely than ever before. The church sits in that background and just shines forth as a place where you can be known and you can be loved. I love that about the church. And so that's when we come to the book of James. So I I wanna encourage you, keep your Bibles open because we're gonna be looking at them. In James chapter five, James is wrapping up his whole letter and it's this letter that he's writing to a whole host of churches scattered across the nations. And in this section right here at the end, he's instructing them and teaching them about what their community should look like. Now, my experience of church immediately was the warmth and the love of Christian people, and that has to be the foundation of the church. But there was something so much more to be had as we gather together as the family of God's people. We're not just a community of warmth and love, we're a community of faith. We're not just a community of warmth and love, we're a community of faith. And so that's what James is speaking into. He's saying, as a community that believes that the Lord is near, that the Spirit is within us right now, that Christ is returning and He will come back in glory and power, as a community that believes that Satan is real and is trying to pull us aside that actually as a community that still lives with the present reality of sin, we need to be a community of faith. How do we do it? How do we live that out? Well, it's a groundbreaking idea, prayer. James says, pray for one another. And that might just sound simple. It might sound like an overly easy idea, but I believe that if we were to hear James's words and God's word to us right now and to really put this in practice, it would completely transform not only our community, but our life under Jesus. He says, pray for one another. So I just wanna walk through this passage and look at the the way that James instructs us to pray and to see what God might have for us as we do that. So keeping your Bibles open, the first thing that we need to say about prayer from this passage is that James calls us to pray in every season. He calls us to pray in every season. Have a look with me from verse 13 to 14. Here's what he says. Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to to pray over them. Are you getting the sense here? James is saying, whatever season you find yourself in, it's, it's, it's a season to pray in. Whatever, whether you're in a place of joy and happiness and goodness, it's a moment to praise God and pray and thank Him for everything that He's doing for you. But do you find yourself in a moment of trouble? or difficulty, well, that's a moment to call upon God to meet you, to turn up. And particularly if you find yourself sick with illness, with with some sort of problem, it's a moment to call the elders of the church together and pray expectantly that he'll do something. We wanna pray in every season. That's what James is calling us to. But I have a fear that Christians tend to pray as a last resort, not as the first line of offense. We, we, We make what should be the center of our faith, something that we run to when all else fails. 
when we finally manage to prove that we can't overcome the problems in our life by ourselves, maybe then we might turn to prayer. But James is saying, no, prayer needs to be the very expression of your faith. If you call on the name of Jesus as Saviour and Lord, prayer needs to be the, the air that you breathe, the language that you speak. Prayer needs to be the very expression of that faith that you have in God. And I have a feeling that too many of us as Christians have a shallow prayer life. And I worry that that reveals that we actually have a shallow faith, that we aren't actually expectant that God is real and present with us, that we aren't actually expectant that God is powerful and wants to meet us in our need. And I worry that that means that we're actually missing out on the presence of God in our day-to-day life. We can't be a community that is shallow in prayer because that will just create a community of shallow faith. Yes, we're a community of love and warmth, but we are a community of faith. And so prayer needs to be just the central expression of our identity as a church. We wanna pray in every season. And so I wanna call us to be a people that pray not as a last resort, but as the first response. We wanna be a people that that pray in every single moment. Did you notice here that... um, that when he says, is anyone happy in verse 13, he says, let them sing songs of praise. Now for the early church, their songs of praise were were the the Psalms. Now, if you were joining us for church last year, we went through a series in the Psalms called Though the Seasons Change. And I, I love that title because the Psalms are a book of prayers that capture what it means to be a person of faith in every season. That's who we are to be, a people who in every moment of life live out our consistent faithfulness with a consistent prayerfulness. We live as if God is present in every moment and he wants to hear us and and meet us. Um, There's a wonderful quote that I came across as I was preparing from from J.A. Matia. He says, our whole life should be so angled towards God that whatever strikes upon us, whether sorrow or joy, should be deflected upwards at once into his presence. No matter what it is, whatever comes at us, we should almost just deflect it immediately up to God. That prayer should just be the response to everything, good, bad, in between. That is what it means to be a community of faith. We pray in every season. But as we go on, um, we get to a bit of a tricky verse. So again, we're going to need to spend some time unpacking this. Um, But the second thing that I want us to see in this passage is that we're not just to pray all the time, we're to pray expectantly. We're to pray expectant that God will actually answer and meet us in power. Again, look with me at verse 14. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. So I think we need to just work through that and unpack that. Um, From verse 14, if you're sick, you're going to call the elders of the church to come and to pray over you. Well, who are the elders? Well, in the early church, this was a um, position that was given to particularly spiritual leaders within the church to lead God's people as, as shepherds, shepherds who would lead the sheep in the way of God, who would watch over the people of God and ensure that they continue to walk and love the Lord Jesus. These are the spiritual leaders of the church, often called overseers or elders in the Bible. Um, Today, that might be your pastors or the the people that are spiritually in leadership over you. That's who James is talking about here. And he's saying, if you're sick, you're to actually call the elders to come 
and they'll pray for you and anoint you with oil. And, and that prayer of faith will be received and you will be healed. That's, that seems to be the logic going on here. Um, I think what we're going on here is not just if you're feeling sick um, in the middle of a church service on a Sunday to go, all right, everyone, stop, stop. We need to call the elders forward and we need to pray. I don't think this is a moment where we interrupt our gatherings on a Sunday. Um, did you notice that it says, call the elders to them? I think this is referring to the kind of person who's so sick or unwell that they're actually not present in the gathering. And they actually are so desperate for healing that they have to call the leaders of the church to come to them, to actually go over to them so that they can pray for them and, and seek that healing that God wants to bring them. Um, the most foreign thing that seems to strike out here is that we don't just call the elders to come and pray, but we also want to anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. That feels a little bit weird in, in the way that we sort of tend to do church in our corner of the world. But I actually think we might have lost something by finding these moments weird. Um, it's not that the oil is, is special or powerful. Um, notice in verse 15 that it's the prayer offered in faith that makes the sick person well. It's not the oil. The oil's not special or significant in that way. But it's, it's just like the practice that we have as Christians of laying hands on people that we're praying for and sending out. Laying hands doesn't accomplish anything particularly spiritual that we would have missed out otherwise. It's a moment where we're actually enacting the faith that we're practicing. It's a moment where we actually get to put into practice before us, before our eyes, what we're actually praying for. And so I think this is perhaps something that we need to reclaim, um, that as we have people within our church who do find themselves in moments of sickness and difficulty, that they might call the leaders of the church together to pray for them, and we might actually anoint them with oil. Crazy thought, but I think we should. Um, but here's where it gets a bit trickier. Verse 15, and the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. That seems like a difficult verse. Um, it, just at an initial reading, it feels like saying that if we pray with enough faith, we can be certain that this person sick before us will be healed, that the Lord will raise them up, that we must be able to see this tangible answer of prayer before us if we pray. Um, this is often a verse that has been misused and abused. Um, there are movements within the church, um, very um, cheekily referred to as name it and claim it movements, where if you can just name in faith the thing that you want from God, he'll swoop down and meet you, kind of like a genie in a bottle. Um, but we know that that's not how God works. But at the same time, we do need to wrestle with this passage because it does seem to be saying that if we pray in faith, he's going to turn up and, and answer us. Um, well, whenever you find yourself in a position like this, as you're reading the scriptures, and you're unsure how to interpret or understand a tricky verse like this, that the most essential principle is to interpret Scripture by Scripture. We want to make sure that we aren't just reading this one verse in isolation. We're going to read it in the context of the letter that we're reading it in, but equally, we're going to go to other parts of the Bible to make sure that we can understand it in the whole host of what God has spoken. So that's why we had our reading with Jesus in the garden. Jesus would have to be described as the man of the most immense faith, in history, because he was the son of God himself. And yet as he stood in that garden, what did he pray? He prayed, Father, take this cup from me. And that cup is referring to the will and the wrath of God to be poured upon him on the cross. That cup is this moment where Jesus would stand before the authorities and be delivered to his death. Jesus is saying, please God, don't let me die. But what does he say after that? But not my will, but yours. 
if we were to interpret that James verse incorrectly, we would say, if you pray it with enough faith, it'll happen. But Jesus brings a little bit of nuance into that and says, yes, I will pray to you, God, because I know that you hear me, but not my will, but yours. And so even Jesus praying in faith, asking honestly, God, would you take this cup from me? God says, you will walk to that cross and you will die for the sins of people. And thank God that he did that. Thank God that God has his will that is so much bigger and better than ours so that he can actually give us what we need and not just what we want. And specifically to think about sickness. Um, In Galatians chapter four, verse 13, Paul's talking about the circumstances that he um, underwent that meant that he ended up in the church of Galatia and preached the gospel. And he says it was actually illness that brought him there. Again, if we were to simply pray every time we get sick and expect that God would swoop in and heal us every single time, well, that moment where this church was born in a city would have not happened um, because Paul the Apostle himself was suffering from illness. Um, In 2 Corinthians 12, Paul the Apostle again talks about this thorn in the flesh that Satan has given him. And he says, let me read it for you. This is a beautiful verse. It's so important. He says, three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. I love that. That it's in the moment of weakness and difficulty that God actually wants to reveal his power. And so he didn't answer that prayer with a yes, of course you have enough faith. No, he allowed Paul to suffer this thorn because it was actually better for him. I think the principle comes from the words of Jesus in John chapter 15, verse 16. He's talking to his disciples right before he goes, back, goes to the cross. He says, whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. Whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. Um, this is saying God will answer you. He will give you what you ask for. He is powerful and he is your Father and he loves you. He will meet you, but you ask for it in my name. And as you read through the Gospels, that phrase, in my name, refers to praying in line with the will of Jesus. Praying after what Jesus would have for you and for this world and not just for yourself. And so as we pray in the name of Jesus, we expect that sometimes God who stands over all things will say, no, not right now. This isn't right for you. Or maybe, or or soon to come, or, or an immediate yes. Here's the thing, God will always hear you. God will always answer your prayers, but it isn't necessarily always as you would expect because we're seeking after the will of God rather than having God seek after our will. And so I think that's what's happening here in James 5. Um, We're not expecting that every prayer made in faith will immediately result in healing. But we do need to listen to these verses. Why are they here? Why are they stated so boldly? Well, I think what James is doing is he's trying to give us confidence. He is trying to give us a boldness when we pray. And I don't think we should try and do some gymnastics in the Bible to try and get away from this. If we were to actually meet people in their need and sickness and pray for them, we should expect to see miracles. We should expect to see God come down in power. Do you believe that when you pray, the infinite God of the universe will meet you in your need? That's what, that's what James wants you to see. Pray expectant that God will hear you and answer you and meet you. Yes, not always in exactly the way you would expect, but sometimes he will. And sometimes with power in exactly the way that we need him to. I think sometimes we have a shallowness of faith where we don't pray enough, 
But I equally think that sometimes we have a shallowness of faith where we don't pray in a way that we actually expect God to do what we ask Him to do. And that's actually not praying in faith. Um, Earlier in James, in chapter 1, verse 6, he says to not pray like someone who's shifted around by the winds and the waves. And that's really referring to doubt, really thinking, well, God, maybe you won't actually answer me. Maybe you won't be here. We're to pray as a people of faith, expectant that God will answer us. I think we need to reclaim our wonderful moments in kids' church. I love that kids' talk we had earlier with the Elijah. Um, We need to reclaim a wonder at the powerful God, because that's the example that James is using here. He says, Elijah in 1 Kings 17, 18, 19, he's just a human being. He's just an ordinary man. But when he prayed to the powerful God, the rain stopped for three and a half years. And then when he prayed again to that same powerful God, the rain came down in in splendour and power. Why? Because verse 16, this is a verse that's worth memorising. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. The prayer of a powerful, of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Not righteous in the sense that you're perfect, righteous in the sense that Jesus has covered you with his grace. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Do you believe that? Do you believe that when you pray, God will come down? Can you imagine what it would look like for our community of faith? if we consistently got on our knees and prayed that God would come down in power to rescue the lost from their sin, that if we were to consistently pray in our need of sickness or whatever it might be, that God would come and meet us in that moment. I believe, and I think James is teaching us here, that he wants to give us more than we're ready to ask for. So we need to be a people that pray expectantly. Um, let's, let's get to this last section here. And I think this is really what ties it all together. Um, look at verse 16 with me. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. This is the the one another verse that we've been talking about that's really grounding everything that we're doing here. Pray for each other. Pray for each other and confess sins to one another. Um, This call is simple and profound, but it's easy to do in a sense, but it's also kind of scary because Paul doesn't just talk about praying for one another as if it's just a moment to go, da-da-da-da-da-da, amen. Well, he actually says, confess your sins to one another. And those two things are actually being woven together in the community of faith. That if we're going to be a people of prayer, we won't just from a distance pray for each other about the surface issues in our life, but we'll actually be a people who confess the reality of our sin and the things that are currently hidden behind our mask that pray intentionality and precision into the spiritual life that we actually are living, not that we're just presenting. And so let's just break up. Let's look at praying for each other and confessing sins to one another. Um, We need to be a people that actually pray for one another. Um, One of the things that makes my heart sing as a pastor, and obviously we can't do that right now with a live stream. I can't see into your living room, nor should I. But when I'm here on a Sunday in a gathering and the service wraps up, all the formal stuff happens, people start to chitter and chatter around the building. The thing that makes my whole soul just light up is when I see heads bowed and hands raised in in expectant prayer. When I see someone who's just been having a conversation about what's happening in their world and they actually just stop and pray for one another. Because we're not just a community of love and warmth, we're a community of faith. 
I would love to see our church be a community that just consistently moves to prayer as the first thing that we do for one another. It's not just a personal spiritual life where I pray to God in my own time. Yes, please do that. But it's, it's the reality of our relationships. We have spiritual relationships. And so therefore we pray for each other. And I think that's a wonderful mark of our church that we are a people that pray for one another. Um, I remember one of the most um, memorable moments in my young Christian life was when an older Christian brother, who I didn't even really know that well at the time, just asked me how I was going and we were standing on the busy street of King Street in Newtown. And I kind of explained that things weren't going great and da-da-da-da-da. And he just stopped me. I was walking with him side by side. He just stopped me. He said, Nick, can I just pray for you, bro? And so he just stopped, put his hand on my shoulder in the middle of King Street with all these people looking at us like we're absolutely nuts. And he just prayed for me in that moment. And that just has stuck with me because that's the kind of man that I want to be. A man who doesn't just believe bold things about God, but puts it in action in praying for others. Spurgeon was once asked, what has made you so successful in your ministry? And he answered very simply, my people pray for me. My people pray for me. Let's be a people who pray for one another. But we need to remember that this prayer for one another is joined with this idea of confessing sin to one another. And I think this is really important because we're not just praying about the external problems in our life. We're not just keeping it surfacy. Oh, I'm having a tough time at work. Things are busy. Okay, let me pray for you. Please do that if that's really what's happening. But what we need to be is a people of vulnerability because we believe that sin continues to be present in the lives of Christians even after they've been following Jesus for 5, 10, 20, 40 years. As long as you take breath in this world, you will continue to wrestle with sin. And if sin is something that we keep hidden under wraps in the darkness, kept solely by ourselves, wrestled with internally, but never brought out into the light with others, we're in danger of running into verses 19 to 20. And this should scare you. This should scare you as a Christian. My brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring that person back, remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. That's put in a positive way that if you can really bring someone back from sin, you can save them. But I want you to hear this, that if you're currently wrestling with sin in the darkness of your own soul and you're not bringing it into the light, you're in danger of wandering from the truth and running into death. The community of faith is not a community of darkness, but a community of light. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. What does that mean? Well, he, he brings out those things that are hidden in darkness and brings them into the light. We need to be a people who are vulnerable with one another and willing to actually bring out those things that we're wrestling with internally because Satan loves it when we wrestle by ourselves. Um, every single one of us is wrestling right now. But who have you shared that with? Who's praying for you? Who, who can you be confident that the power of prayer is currently being poured out upon you as you wrestle with this sin? I think Christians have always struggled with this, with the idea of just sitting in the darkness of our own sin. But I think in our culture, particularly here on the North Shore, we love to present like everything's going okay. In fact, we love to present that we're godlier than we are. We love to present that we're faithful and wonderful Christians. And we're so scared that if someone was to really see beneath the surface, they'd think us a hypocrite or falling apart. But can I tell you that Christians are not hypocrites when they confess their sins together. That's actually them expressing their faith in earnestness. The hypocrisy is when we pretend like everything's okay when it's not. We need to be a people who confess our sins to one another. Um, 
Now, I don't know that this is suggesting that next time open mic happens, you should get up in front of the church with your list of nine things that you've committed in sin. You know, I don't think that's what this is talking about. Did you notice the relational language in verse 16? It says, confess your sins to each other, to each other. Um, it's this sense of to a person right in front of you. That's where you have an opportunity in relationship to confess what's happening there. And as you're vulnerable, that's a moment for prayer a moment for accountability and for God to come with his power and to help you. So I don't think this is get up the front church. Perhaps the way that our church is structured, this is something that should be woven into the life of our connect groups. The whole point is that you're spending time each week and throughout the week doing life alongside these brothers and sisters. Can I encourage you, stop being surfacy with one another and actually take the boldness to bring out what you're currently wrestling with so that you can pray for each other. That should, be, that should be a part of our life together. You don't need to do it with everyone. You don't need to stand up in front of church. But who are the few people that you are vulnerable enough with who know what's truly going on in your soul and in your inner life so that they can encourage you and pray for you? We need to have those people. We need to. It's a matter of spiritual urgency. Um, there's a pastor that I really admire who I was listening to a podcast of um, and he just, he just threw this in as a story where he said, um, every morning, 6 a.m., I chat to my friend on the phone for 15 minutes and we just confess to each other the sins of the past 24 hours. And I heard that and I thought, that seems like a little much, man. Like, just re- relax a bit. 6 a.m. for one is very early, but to every day for the past 24 hours. But as I sat with that, I realised my kind of revulsion at that idea is because I don't want to have someone who knows that intimately the sin of my life. In fact, I think he's closer to the biblical truth than I am. So I think we need to find the people that we can be vulnerable with. We need to make this a a regular rhythm of our faith together as a community to to bring out the sin that's happening underneath the surface and to pray for each other because prayer is the language of the Christian faith. Prayer is the air that we breathe. Prayer is where we bring the infinite God down into our world to meet us in power. And we desperately need that as we wrestle with sin. So just to wrap up, let me point to a few places where we could begin to really bring this into our life together. The first one, I think, is that we need to reclaim spiritual friendship. Again, we live in a time that's very isolated and disconnected. What would it look like for you to have a few friends that you don't just go and enjoy life together with, but who you're vulnerable with, who who really know what's happening in your life, who you really know what's happening in their life, and you pray for one another, not just vaguely in the background, but every time you get together, that you take a few minutes just to chat and pray for each other. To have a couple of friends like that could transform your experience of faith and life because you're doing it together. I think this is something that's been wonderful in Christian history. Spiritual friendship has been very prominent, but I think it's an urgent matter that we need to attend to that too many of us are trying to fight the Christian fight alone. We come into a church building full of 100, 200 people, but in reality, we're sitting there in isolation. Invite a few people in and invest in one another with depth. Um, The next thing is to, I think, prioritize the prayer life of church I think often we've got lots of things that we do as a church, events that we might want to attend, um, small groups that we're a part of. But I wanna argue that the most important thing you can give your time to in the life of our church is those moments when we pray together. We've got central prayer coming up this Wednesday night. It's on Zoom, so it's more accessible than ever before. And this is a moment where we genuinely put this into action as a church. We say it's worth to stop everything else so we can pray. Would you join us for that? And I don't know if you know, but before every gathering when we're in person, half an hour before the gathering, people just get together to pray. 
not just for the service ahead, but actually just for, for the life together, for our family of faith, for the people in that circle. Would you be willing to come to church just that extra bit early so that you could pray with one another? I think that would be wonderful. And I want to argue that we need to have a pattern of prayer in our life. Um, if we're going to pray in every season, if we're going to pray for one another, we need to actually make it part of every day. It needs to be woven into who we are. Now, lockdown has disrupted a lot of our usual rhythms. Maybe this is a moment where God is saying, stop, look at how you're living and weave prayer into that. Make that part of who you are, an individual faith of prayer for sure. But how are you praying for the people around you, the people in your life, the church that you're a part of, the world around you? Let's be a people who bring that into every moment because we pray in every season. There's so much here, but right at the centre of it, James is saying, we are a community of faith and that means we pray. We pray in every season. We pray expectant that God will work. We pray for one another in the context of our sin and God meets us and he, he shines out in those moments. So I think the only right thing that we could do right now is to pray. So I'm gonna throw it to Lorraine who's gonna lead us as a church in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, uh, thank you for the privilege of prayer. Thank you that because of Jesus, we can come and approach your throne with absolute confidence and that we can speak to you as a child to his father. Thank you that you love to hear us and thank you that we can indeed ask great things, expect great things and receive great things. God, help us not to take uh, the privilege of prayer for granted and may all our days upon waking and sleeping be in communion with you. As it says in the Puritan prayer, thou art good when thou givest, when thou takest away, and when the sun shines upon me, and when night gathers over me. And God, in this current lockdown situation, uh, it's hard to understand why you take us through these valleys. But we know that you are the same yesterday, today, and forever, and that you are good. So we trust you. And we bring before you those who are grieving, and those who have had plans cancelled, those who are sick, in financial hardship, and those who feel distant from you. God, we want to pray in particular for those who are feeling lonely and isolated and ask that you might be their ultimate companion. God, please provide. Provide physically, provide in abundance for every spiritual need. And God, we pray for the current situation uh, in Australia and in New South Wales and indeed the world with COVID-19. God, thank you for our government, uh, for their leadership. Um, we pray that you might uh, help them to make wise decisions. And we pray for us, for patience, uh, as we observe the restrictions and we um, ask that these restrictions would soon be lifted. God, I want to bring before you in particular the families and school holidays. Um, I pray for parents juggling with work and family and ask for patience and grace. And may your name be honoured in these households. We also want to pray that as a congregation, you might help us to love each other well. Help us to see the needs of those around us um, and help us to be creative in how we can love and serve each other, even though we're physically distanced. And we pray, especially during this time, for those who are yet to know you. Um, 
please uh, may your spirit be at work in them and may they have hearts that are softened and hearts that will turn to Jesus. And lastly, God, we pray for our brothers and sisters around the world who are suffering for their faith. In particular, we pray for Christians who cannot meet together uh, during COVID, and we ask that you might strengthen them in their faith. Grant them your peace and help them to hold firm, and may their eyes be fixed on Jesus. And it's in his name we pray all these things. Amen.